Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to a week in review here, the Friday weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. You guys know how this stuff goes. I am your always gracious host, the venerable Dan Vespers. You can find me on social media at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and I hope you will. In fact, this feels like the kind of show where we need to, at the very beginning, remind everybody that social media is of critical importance for getting your fantasy news, specifically over the weekend when we don't have podcasts. I don't do shows on Saturday or Sunday. Last year, we did them in the month of October, and uh, it almost burned me the hell out. <laughs> That's a tough month anyway, but I know there's so much stuff going into fantasy draft season. This year, back to Monday through Friday, but the Iron Man streak lives on still. There are just things you need to cover in between. So if you're not on Twitter, I'm sure some of you aren't. And I'm sure you also have really good reasons not to be because it is a bit of a hellscape sometimes. You can just follow one or two people. And if you use TweetDeck, TweetDeck.Twitter.com is actually the website there. I don't know if it works on mobile. I use it on my computer. You don't see all the BS. You don't see the sponsored ads. You don't see the what are other people listening to or reading or whatever kind of crap. You literally only see the things you follow. And so you must follow a few things on Twitter if you want to make sure you're getting your fantasy advice as fast as humanly possible. Again, at Dan Bespris, myself, Sports Ethos, at Ethos Fantasy BK or just at Sports Ethos, and then they'll retweet stuff that they deem relevant. But I think you want that news feed over at Ethos Fantasy BK. The Week in Review shows, as you guys probably know at this point, we're you know halfway through the season, so you probably have a pretty good grasp on, on what's about to come up here. We go through everything that's happened basically Sunday through Thursday, with you know some of the Sunday stuff we cover on our uh, Monday uh, reverse chronological weekend recap episode. But this is really everything over the last... Not so much full week, but sometimes it does. It's sort of a catch-all. We go ads, we go drops, we got holds, we got watch list guys. I'm not going to do the injury replacement board on today's podcast because it changes from moment to moment, and so that's just the thing that's going to get obsolete before you even listen to the episode. I've also got a couple of buys, a couple of sells, and then we'll preview lightning round style the weekend coming up. Basically look at every team's next ball game and make a, a claim, a stake a claim, to what we're kind of keeping tabs on, what might change, what fantasy stuff we need to be ready for, and that's why you do the look-aheads, which I've tried to reincorporate into the podcast. It seemed like many of you did want that to be part of the shows. So let's start with what everybody enjoys the most. Those are the ads of the week, and you know the first one. It's Daniel freaking Gafford, who's been absolutely outstanding lately and the wonderful news is he seems to be fine Gafford was a full participant in the Wizards practice yesterday not I don't think he's even on the injury report today so whatever was going on with his arm in the game on Wednesday night he's fine thank goodness if you're in a league with people listening to this podcast it's going to be very hard to acquire Daniel Gafford but if you can I would still strongly consider doing so I pretty firmly believe that the sky is the limit for this dude. As we talked about earlier this week, um, when he gets minutes, 
he's a mega stud. And the, the, the think pieces are coming out already about how much better the Wizards are when Gafford is in the lineups. They won five games in a row, and some of them were actually decent wins. I mean, they beat Philly in there. They beat Sacramento in there. They beat Phoenix. Now, admittedly, the Suns are in free fall right now. And they beat the Bucks. Bucks didn't have any of their players, but they beat them. And then they came back and lost to the Bucks. That was the the road road game in Milwaukee. Now they've got the Thunder, another winnable game for a Wizards team that wants to make a little push here, and they know they're going to have to lift a little harder with Beal out for a few ball games. The news coming out yesterday, he's going to sit at least a week. I think it'll be longer than that. I think it'll be more like two, but we'll see. So Gafford back on this list. He was on the ads list last week. He might have been even might have even been on the ads list two weeks ago. But honestly, like he just needs to be on there because not everybody's doing it still. I don't understand why. He's only 38% rostered on Yahoo. That's idiotic. When this dude plays in the mid to high 20s in minutes, we did this exercise already. He can go top 60. Whatever. Let's move on. Uh, Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. I put in the ads bucket because this one felt like I needed to kind of put my money where my mouth is. Um, I think normally I would have thrown him more in the watch list department, but I also pretty firmly believe that KCP is consistently better when his team is healthy around him. And right now, for this fleeting moment, or whatever, however long it lasts for Denver, they are healthy around him. I don't know why he played 29 minutes in that game yesterday. They were up by like 40 points. But even still, 9 points, 4 boards, 5 assists, a steal, and 3 three-pointers. He doesn't even have to shoot the ball all that well. It's just that he's wide open when he's got Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic nearby. And there's an, there's an element there that not necessarily to say that he needs every starter on that team healthy around him. Maybe it's just that he needs Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic healthy around him because those two in a pick-and-roll game create so much gravity that KCP is just always open. He's the guy that gets left because teams are going to try their best not to leave Michael Porter Jr. They're going to try their best not to let Aaron Gordon slash and jam. And that leaves KCP. You just can't guard everybody when that Nuggets team is humming on offense, which is not infrequently. Don't expect him to put up big scoring numbers. You can't expect more than the about 11 points that he's averaging on the year so far. But again, when when they're right, he's just going to be out there long enough to get three to four rebounds per game. He's going to be out there long enough to get two to three assists per game. He's going to get his steal plus, most likely, and right now, he's just outside the top 100 on numbers that are fairly repeatable. I think the only thing I would look at his numbers and say, hey, maybe this is a spot that this could go up a little bit, is that when that team is fully healthy, I think he actually tends to hit more three-pointers. And I know in a games cap format, we're pretty much always hunting guys that are in the double digits, 99 or better. But if you're really, like, right at the edge of the top 100, that's playable. That'll play. Grab a golf term and throw it out there. Jalen Williams is an ad right now. Uh, he he was an ad last week. Um, we've been talking about him kind of periodically on the show over the last, I don't know, six-ish ball games, roughly. Basically since Pokashevsky went down. Because when Jeremiah Robinson Earl went down, Jalen Williams' minutes became a bit more guaranteed. When Poku went down, his touches became a bit more guaranteed. Because it hasn't always been about the minutes with Williams. For a long stretch in there, it was just about not 
getting to touch the basketball. And now he's getting to touch the ball a little bit more. So the assists have trended up for him. The rebounds have been kind of fine and consistent the whole way through. The number of shots per game has been trending in the right direction. And he's had a pretty good shooting percentage, which, you know, you hope that there would be more usage that translates to it. Over the last two weeks, Jalen Williams is top 60. That probably doesn't hold because he's at 2.2 steals, thanks to that five-steal ball game he put up in his last one. But he seems like a pretty safe top 90 guy while both JRE and Poku are out, and so you might as well just roll with that. I put Alec Burks also on the ads list. He kind of got upgraded from the uh, streamer board because... Folks were back for the Pistons in their last ballgame, and he actually played more minutes than ever. It's also worth pointing out that the Pistons have actually won three of their last five ballgames. They beat the Magic, meh. They beat the Wolves, that wasn't terrible. And then they just beat the Warriors in Golden State in their last ballgame. And Burks has been a pretty large part of this recent upward tick for them. Killian Hayes came back and actually played a, a good ball game in that one. It would have been weird to look back and say, oh, well, like, did they get better without him? No, that's it's just not the way it works. But for Burks, the one thing that does cloud this a little bit, he's top 70 over the last two weeks. He's shooting 51% over that stretch. And we all know that's just not going to stick. Apologies. The best run of Burks' career was an 18-game stretch in Philadelphia in the COVID season when he shot 46%. He's not going to shoot 50% long-term. That's going to come back to earth. And then that does change sort of the valuation on him. It's going to be hard for him to average 17 points if he's not shooting 51%. The stuff that you kind of like with Burks right now is that he's pretty consistently making a positive impact at the free throw line. He's pretty consistently getting scoring going, and he's actually getting three or four assists per game lately as kind of the bench orchestrator on that team. He's he's supplanted Corey Joseph, thank goodness. Do I think there's a whole lot of upside with Burks? No, because he's most likely, I don't want to say most likely getting traded, but he's definitely on the trade block, so this whole thing could just erupt in your face at any moment. But if he's really going to sit between 22 and 28 minutes instead of between 17 and 22 minutes, that's a big deal for him. Would I start him in a Roto Games Cap League in his next ball game? Probably not, although it's against the Spurs, so maybe. Uh, then they've got two with Philadelphia where I, I don't know that I could do it. But certainly on the head-to-head side where you don't need every game individually to be a big winner, he does feel like he's a head-to-head ad right now. And then the final name on the board, the one that's generating the most controversy over in the social media side, is Larry Nance. Uh, he's very much an ad if he's good enough to play move here. Uh, because when Nance is healthy, he's been wonderful. But he's often not healthy. He's played in two of the team's last nine ball games, and the two he played in, he probably wasn't really healthy enough to play in those anyway. But they're down Zion. They're down Brandon Ingram. They're going to have to play Nance at a spot other than center simply because he's good enough to get in there, and he's you know and he's one of the five or six best players on the team right now. So... You can't just use him as a Valanchunas backup anymore. And even then, he had fantasy value. But squeezing more minutes out of Nance is a, is a pretty big deal. He's questionable for the game tonight. 
If he doesn't play tonight, I think that means he probably does play in the the other half of their back-to-back tomorrow. If he plays tonight, I don't know what that means for the back-to-back. He's dealing with a shoulder injury, but remember he had a neck thing before that, so they might just point to the fact that he hasn't really played in three weeks and say, well, we can't really run him on the back-to-back. But let's wait and see. He profiles much more as a Roto Gamescap kind of guy because he is intermittently hurt throughout his entire NBA career as opposed to head-to-head where you just you can't really, you know, top 80 or whatever he ends up being is really nice, but top 80 where he's on, where he's day-to-day, two to three games every three weeks is is going to kill your fantasy team. It's very different than if Nance was like, you know, some guys, they get ruled out for a week. Like with Beal, he was ruled out for a week, so he gets an injury tag on Yahoo. For someone like Nance, who, dealing with shoulder soreness, he was day-to-day, so you probably only got to throw him on the IL for one ball game. Maybe two if he misses tonight. But you took three zeros leading up to it. Those are what really kill you in a head-to-head league, because most head-to-head leagues have an IL slot or more than one. It's the guys that are just missing games without an injury tag, and if your league doesn't have IL+, plus, which I still believe most leagues don't, then you get stuck just wearing it. And for and with Nance, because he's an efficiency, low turnover guy, if you're just taking zeros, it's going to kill you. So I love him, but I love him because I'm a big Roto Games Cap player, and he fits that format way better than head-to-head. Hey, I want to remind you guys to check out our buddies over at ExpressVPN.com. I'd really like to keep that partnership going uh, for a number of reasons. One, it's cool to have them as a partner. And two... Uh, it's a really good service. And three, they give me the service. So let's keep this thing rolling because, you know, Papa needs his VPN and he doesn't really want to pay for it over here. Uh, expressvpn.com slash hoopball is the website. It's not a code you have to enter. It's a specialty URL. So expressvpn.com slash hoopball. You get 15 months for the price of 12 right now. So buy the year-long membership with our special link and you get 15 months instead. It's a really good deal. It's worth it. It looks like a chunk of change up front, but if you sort of think about it spread out over 15 months, which is effectively what's happening now, it's quite worth it to protect your personal information, protect your, protect your data, and to be able to use all your sp- streaming services in a way that you want to. Because, you know, F it, you're paying for these damn things. Blackouts suck. Uh, Netflix, Hulu, all those things being blacked out on shows that are available in other countries or other places, that sucks. ExpressVPN can pull those barriers down for you. So please do check them out. I really want to keep that partnership going. And the way that that happens is with uh, you guys keeping everything rumbling along. They'll want to stick with us. Drops. The drops are always hard because I don't know that there's any, like, most of the drops that we find are guys that were on, that were injury replacements anyway. So I kind of have to scratch and claw to find names that I think got added in a bunch of places that maybe shouldn't have, or did I say to add them? So that's what these names are. They're hard to to place, but Jeremy Sohan is the first one uh, for redraft leagues. I think he's droppable, even with Devin Vassell out for a month and change. I just don't think that Sohan's fantasy game translates all that well. So it's not even necessarily about whether or not he's going to get minutes. It's about whether his game makes sense for 9-cat. And I don't think I don't think it does. 
Maybe points leagues, he makes more sense. Those of you that play in that format, you could probably hang on a little bit longer because in points leagues, basically, if you're on the court a whole bunch of time, you're probably going to at least get near fantasy value. That's just not always the case in 9-cat because like for someone like Sohan, who had like three games where he got defensive stats, but for the most part, he hasn't this year and his percentages haven't been good this season. It's just too many things that he's not successful at and then not enough things that he's hyper-successful at. You know, that's the other side of it. If you're bad at some stuff, you need to be brilliant at other things to cover it, and that's just not the case yet. Maybe it becomes the case next year, the year after, whatever. So again, dynasty, keeper, that type of stuff, maybe this doesn't fully apply to you, but redraft, I think it does. Aaron Neesmith is on this board. I don't think he got picked up in that many places, so I don't know that he needed to really be on the drops list, but he's more of a schedule streamer, so let's just leave it at that and move on. And Cole Anthony is the one name on this board that I think probably is a bit over-rostered right now. Um, you know, he puts up those big popcorn lines every once in a while, and and in his defense, he's actually been, per game-wise, not, not terrible over the last, like, three weeks or so. I just think that with Jalen Suggs coming back, Anthony's likely going to be the guy who gets pinched a little bit there. And anything being taken away from what he's done so far this year is enough to move him back down to schedule stream zone. He's like, he's right on the border right now. So remove any of that, and he's no longer right on the border. So maybe this is a pre drop, but whatever. Like, again, if you want to hold on for another week, I'm totally fine with that. I almost never fault folks for wanting to hold the drops a little bit longer, which is why the holds board is always, frankly, my most fun part of this show to do because I need, I feel like I, this is where I get to really lean into explanations on why we're doing the things we're doing. Hold number one. I don't even know why I put Markel Fultz on this board because everybody else is actually higher on him than I am. He's number 141. He's actually ranked behind Cole Anthony uh, on a per game basis largely because his free throw shooting still has not come around. It's not the same old hitch that it was like three years ago, but but that's really actually the thing that's holding him back. If he could shoot free throws, he'd be inside the top 100. Markel Fultz is actually kind of like a great punt free throw point guard for your team because he doesn't really hit three-pointers. He's bad at the foul line, but his field goal percent isn't terrible. His assists and steals are pretty good, and... uh yeah, the free throws are just clunky, but I think you need to hold on. There's enough upside there to see how this thing plays out. And I, again, I don't even know why I'm trying to convince you of this because you guys probably needed to convince me of this more than anything. Both centers in Boston are holds right now. Uh, Horford was a little bit better yesterday. Um, again, you're not really looking at the scoring with Big Al. Eight points is fine. That's that's all you're really looking for there. But he had eight boards, three assists, a steal, and a three-pointer. I would like there to be a little bit more defensive stuff going on, but the three for six shooting, the three ball, that's really all you'd you'd want. And he didn't get to play the last like five or six minutes of his normal allotment because this thing was such an intense blowout on Thursday night. Robert Williams is probably the the tougher sell right now because his minutes have stayed very, very low. And he's basically in like the third week back now. You would have thought they'd trended up by this point, and they haven't because the Celtics are being extraordinarily cautious with him and what it's done is it's actually created a little bit of a buy window on the time lord and he's act and he's on uh my the amended buy list the one i put out on twitter didn't have him on there but i did add him before starting the podcast 
I don't know what it would take to get Robert Williams. Um, I'm guessing you could get him for like a top 80 type guy. Uh, and if you can, I think you really should because folks that have him right now are probably getting a little bit no- annoyed that they haven't gotten those big producto games yet. But they're coming, so hang on tight because it's going to be cool. Tim Hardaway Jr. is a hold. This is, again, another one where he's a hold for two different reasons. On the head-to-head side, he's a hold because you know, in a given week, he might get you 23 pointers, and that's really useful. On the roto side, he's a hold because I think you can pick your spots to deploy him because his minutes are safe, his shots are safe. The question is, is he going to be going against a team that leaves him wide open? And you could see that with the Mavs. We talked about them a bunch on yesterday's podcast. Dallas, a little bit of a paper tiger these days, putting up big wins against terrible teams. And Tim Hardaway rocking massive points against pretty much all of those bad teams. And then came out against Boston and the whole team kind of crapped themselves. So, uh, I mean, that's the that to me, is that's the play with Hardaway, is you get him in there against opponents where he can pick on them on the roto side. And then in head-to-head, you just sort of take the good with the bad. Walker Kessler is a hold, which, again, those of you listening to this pod probably don't really need to be convinced of that. But even though his minutes have trended down towards 17, he's still able to hang on to value thanks to the rebounds and the blocks. No, I'm not pleased about the fact that his minutes have dipped, but I am feeling fine about the fact that he's basically like a top 100 guy in like 18 to 20 minutes per ball game. And then everything over that is, is gravy. So let's just take the bottom level here and hope that at some point in the not too distant future, we get a little bit of that gravy on it. His teammate, Jared Vanderbilt is a hold. His minutes have actually ticked back up the last two or three ball games, which is promising after a 17 minute clunker against Miami. And his numbers have been a bit better. Nine boards, In each of those two games, total of seven assists, three steals, a block over those two games. Again, you're not worried too much about the scoring with Vanderbilt. He's number 62 by totals because he's been durable this year. The minutes bouncing around has been annoying, but he's still inside the top 100, if but barely, and that makes him a hold in basically every format. And finally, another teammate on that club, Kelly Olynyk who's on one of the most ridiculous foul trouble tears that I can remember. I think since he's come back from injury, he's had foul trouble in three or four of his five games. That's nuts. He's still able to put up boards, assists, steals, blocks, threes, and, well, minus the last couple ball games, he's done it on good percentages this year. He's in a slump right now, and he probably profiles as a buy low if you can get him. The only problem there, of course, is if Utah loses a bunch of ball games, and they did finally get a nice win over the, the hapless Houston Rockets, but if they continue to lose games more than they win them, you start to worry about whether they might just kind of bust things up a little bit, and Olenek would definitely be a victim of that potential. But I feel like we're far enough into the season now, we're even a little losing streak for the Jazz. They'll still fight for that 10 seed. It's kind of too late for them to go into full tank mode. Uh, so I'm not that worried about it, and I think you could probably get Olenek for a guy ranked like in the 90 range, which is kind of where he is right now, and he's at the tail end of a little slump. So expect him to pull out of that nosedive, and if you can get up someone who's maybe just heading into one or coming out of a hot streak that got him up to top 90, that might be the way to go there. Let's move on to the watch list. The watch list. Jay Sean Tate his back for the Rockets, and I only put him on the watch. His fantasy game really hasn't translated all that well. Last year, there was a a big drop-off there. 
He's another guy who probably makes more sense on the head-to-head side than on the Roto side because, again, you, you sort of take the good with the bad. He's not a good foul shooter. Um, last year we saw the the free throws at, at about 71%. That was harmful. He doesn't really shoot the three-pointer. His steals actually went down last season because his minutes also did. But he's a really good steals guy in general. And uh, so uh, Roto, I don't think there's ever going to be a, a time he gets above that top 100 mark consistently. But head-to-head, you find the right schedule spot. It actually makes a lot of sense. Bruce Brown, also on the watch list, because he still had a good game, even with Denver at full strength. I'm not super hopeful there, but there's a possibility, so we have to at least keep an eye on it. Norman Powell is on the watch list. He was an ad guy, uh, and then the Clippers, you know, when they're healthy, I'm not sure there's enough when they're when they're healthy. There might still be, and that's why, I mean, I, I basically just walked you through the thought process of how someone ends up on the watch list, which is maybe, but kind of, but sort of, but no, but yeah, that's a guy that's on your watch list. That's not a guy that necessarily needs to be on your team. Uh, but it's possible that he does work this thing through. And then we know the Clippers, someone's always hurt. And guys are always taking back-to-backs off and so on and so forth. So uh, he's someone that you can't fully ignore the way that you can like 70% of the NBA. Mark Williams is on the watch list just in case anything pivots in Charlotte. He's stuck in that you know 18-minute reserve role for now. But every day things look more and more like a tank job out there. They've been off. They've been terrible. They've been hurt. Ubre basically just got shut down for a surgery that he sort of kind of didn't really need, but then also did need, uh, but could have waited on. <laughs> By the way, um, going back to the Jay Sean Tate thing, remember he did have a 30-minute game right at the beginning of this season. It's kind of easy to forget that he actually played a few games uh, to start the year before then missing two months, and he didn't really do much with that time out there. So that's another reason why he's stuck on the watch list Uh, Mark Williams again profiles really nicely as a next year kind of guy but right now not really and same deal with his teammate Cody Martin who might play his way into those Jalen McDaniels minutes with various players hurt maybe he gets some run as the season progresses but I just don't think he's quite there yet Josh Richardson is on the watch list and that this really is a byproduct of Devin Vassell being out for a month and a half but of course with San Antonio they're in tank mode also so I don't know that you can trust Richardson to play every ball game. I don't know that you can trust Pop to give him minutes every ball game. And then that makes him a really hard player to use in almost any format until we see a measure of consistency. And then by the time we see the consistency, he's probably not going to get to play anymore. Nas Reed on the watch list. We haven't really seen what he looks like with Kyle Anderson back and Gobert in there. And we have no idea what the deal is with Cat these days. I'm thinking they're probably expecting at some point later this month, but... Reed's so good in limited fantasy or in limited minutes, he puts up big fantasy numbers. But will he even see enough limited minutes to get there right now? Now that slow mo's back in the mix, TJ Warren is on the watch list. But we've been talking about him for four weeks on the show as a watch list guy, so you probably don't need me to rehash that one. Patrick Williams is a watch list guy because he's a potential big winner at the trade deadline if someone gets out of his way in Chicago. We shall see. Victor Oladipo, watch list guy, again, profiles much more as a roto play because he's not going in back-to-backs. And then Keegan Murray, he's a watch list guy mostly because of the rebounding category. As we've talked about twice now this week on the show, if he adds rebounds to his fantasy profile, which you always kind of thought there was a chance he would, but Demonis Sabonis is just eating them all up in Sacramento, aside from the last, like, two ball games. 
feels anomalous because it wasn't happening for Murray for the first nine weeks of the year. But you just never know with young guys when something might kind of pivot and click a little bit. Now the buys and sells, buy targets. Terry Rozier, I think if you can get him at top 80, that's the price to pay right now. Because we're starting to see hints of it. I know there's the shutdown stuff. Um, and I know that it's been ugly. You know, like it's been a, it's been a really rough year for Rozier. Um, but he got two steals in his last ball game. I know that's grasping its draws a little bit. And he is top 90 over the last week, generally without the steals. Uh, but a lot of the other stuff is starting to inch in the right direction. Field goal percent's been a tiny bit better the last week. Still not good, but he had that one good one against the Lakers, and that's all you really need. Like, there's a possibility that he goes on a vicious tear and has like five or six games in a row where he shoots 50% and scores 25 to 30 points and gets one to two steals every one of those games. That'll be a really easy way to know when the value's coming up. But there's these little incremental bumps that we've seen as well, and that's why he's staying on the buy chart for me. Chris Paul, if you can get him for a top 50 play, I think you'd do it. Um, there's just no way he's going to be as bad as he's been. Somehow he's still in the 40s on a per-game basis, even though it's been an absolute dumpster fire of a year in Phoenix. And I think people feel the dumpster fire and might be willing to give up on him, even though he's basically at his ADP on a per-game basis. Robert Williams, who we talked about earlier, is on the buy board. And then the last name I put on the buy board is one that probably doesn't make sense in the traditional sense, and that's Mitchell Robinson, because he's been good this year. It's just that I don't think anybody's noticed that he's been good this year. Maybe you guys have. Maybe listeners of this podcast have noticed. But he's ranked somewhere between 45 and 60, depending on what rank page you're looking at. And I, I would... If you asked a fantasy player off the streets, you know, without looking, where do you think Mitchell Robinson's ranked this year? I bet they'd tell you 90. There's almost no way people realize he's been near top 50. So I think you could probably get him for top 75 or 80. And the only, well, the only way that goes through is if the person trading him away doesn't bother to look at what his actual rank is. Uh, but maybe. And then on the sell side, I still have Christian Wood in there. You know, we saw yesterday... He still got 12 rebounds, which is good, and one block. But you also saw, hey, this is what could happen against a non-crapo team. I just think that there's a, a, a slip back coming here with Christian after a crazy blocks run that was in no way sustainable for him. Uh, he's still only averaging 1.1 blocks per game on the year, but he's on like a top 30 run over the last two weeks. I don't think you can get top 30 for him. But you can probably get top 50 these days. And if you can, I think you should. Because I think you're probably going to see more like a between 70 and 110 little lag here coming up. Because that's how things all balance out in the long run. And you're able to cash in a little out in front of it. Although, you could also try to time it with a potential return of Dorian Finney-Smith or Maxi Kleba. Because right now the minutes are just so guaranteed and locked in that the Mavs have kind of no reason not to play Wood. And I know everybody's like, oh, but he's the best player. Well, be careful. He's their best offensive big man option, but he's far from their best defensive big man option. And even the big blocks games, some of that is just like recovery being out of position type of stuff. And I do want to point out again, 
Christian Wood playing more minutes is not the reason the Mavs went on their winning streak. It's because they played teams that had a combined winning percentage of like 14. Two Houstons, a San Antonio, a three Houstons actually in that winning streak were blended in there. So we just you have to look around the fringes when you make calls like this. Let's turn our attention to the weekend upcoming here. Uh, let's look at each team one by one. We'll start with tonight. This will knock out most of them because there are, I think, 11 games on a Friday night. So that'll tackle 22 of the 30 teams. Portland, nothing. Indy, nothing. Okay, that's fun. Chicago, nothing. Philly, no Joel Embiid. It was Montrez Harrell actually filling in in the last one. Kind of an interesting twist. We all thought, myself included, that it would be Paul Reed because he filled in the last time Embiid missed ball games, but then all of a sudden it was Harrell. By the way, that makes either of them very complicated to use because I have no idea which one's going to play in this ball game. The Knicks, nothing really. You were just waiting on R.J. Barrett. I don't know if you guys saw the story. It's super gross. He finally explained how the hand laceration happened, and it happened because the bone in his own hand that got dislocated lacerated the skin. That's disgusting. Toronto, nothing. I mean, as long as everybody stays upright on that team. Brooklyn, kind of nothing, because TJ Warren's questionable. He was the one thing that we were half keeping tabs on. New Orleans, Larry Nance Jr. is the, the guy I'd like to see if he plays what he looks like. They'll probably ease him back in, so maybe this isn't the best game to try to judge him by, but I do want to keep an eye on Nance. Trey Murphy and Herb Jones in their fill-in roles uh, also on the table here as things to keep track of on the Pelicans. Detroit. We are through the era of the suspension, so now it's time to keep tabs on Alec Burke, see what he does here in the in the near term in particular. Marvin Bagley's out for a while, so what does that mean for Isaiah Stewart and, and or Jalen Duran? San Antonio, what do they look like here? What is the sort of settling that takes place with the Spurs without Devin Vassell for a while? Can they rest the other guys as much as they'd like to and just go into mega tank mode? Do we see Josh Richards at actually at a more consistent pace, although I think he's actually questionable for this ballgame as well. But there is a reason to pay attention to this Detroit-San Antonio game other than to just see if you can make your eyeballs bleed. Charlotte, Jalen McDaniels, Dennis Smith Jr., Cody Martin, Mark Williams. There's a ton to keep track of with the Hornets right now. Milwaukee, nothing really. Washington, no Beal for a week. I don't know that we need to necessarily track what's going on with the Wizards because I think we have a pretty good feel uh, but keep track of Daniel Gafford, at the very least. See what his minutes look like. Denny Avia should be in a really nice fill-in spot. Monte Morris and Rui Hachimura are kind of the more fringy options for different attack points. Like, if you need assists with low turnovers, you play Monte Morris. If you need points with little else, you go Rui Hachimura. There's reasons to play them in different settings, depending on what your team might need, that type of stuff. All of those schedule stream-level guys now actually have purpose beyond just schedule stream. They might be categorical attacking kind of guys. I need to come up with even more terminology. Screw it. I'll work on it another time. Oklahoma City, uh, I don't know, Jalen Williams, you can put him on the watch list. Clippers, mostly just who plays, because they got smoked so hard in, uh, by the Nuggets yesterday that like, you might see all of their starters give it a go again because they only played half the game on Thursday night. And if they do, if they do give it a go, great, because then we get a feel for Norman Powell, we can get a feel for Ivica Zubats. When half the team sits, it's really hard to, to make a fantasy analysis on a, on a ball club. 
Minnesota, we talked about Nas Reed as a watch list guy. Slow-mo uh, is also worth tracking, although to, in my estimation, he's a start because he's just so versatile that you kind of almost have to get him in there. Um, otherwise, not a whole lot else with the the Timberwolves. Cleveland, uh, Darius Garland actually might play in this ballgame. I thought originally he was doubtful, but the uh, the early report on, on Friday morning was that he's questionable. He participated in a lot of shoot-around, which doesn't always give us the case, but, I mean, it's good news that he's, if he doesn't go in this ballgame, you'd, you'd reckon that he's probably good to go in the next one. Uh, but Spida is getting this one off. Donovan's sitting this one out, so that means you points leaguers can get at least one more out of Karis Levert. And that's it there. Denver, we've already talked about, can Bruce Brown still be a thing even with the team at full strength? Jamal Murray saying he's going to start playing in back-to-backs. That's a really big deal. Uh, maybe it just had to do with how little he had to play in the Thursday game. Uh, but he wants to show that he can do it. And that's a start, even if he doesn't actually see it through. Miami, they got to get their act together here. So does Phoenix. This is like, can't which ugly team can figure this thing out first? He'd have been better defensively lately. I thought that they could have beaten the Lakers in that last ballgame if Jimmy Butler just kind of took things over a little bit more. I know that last year, year before, he was able to kind of relax from time to time. Um, it just doesn't seem like the fringe players have been consistent enough this year for Butler to ease off the accelerator from time to time. And he does do that. I know his usage was high, and I know he took 22 shots, but, like, he should have been the guy doing more stuff late in that ballgame. I know the argument could be Danny did plenty, but, like, Tyler Hero was off. When that type of thing happens, it just needs to be a crap load of Jimmy Butler. Lakers actually guarded him okay, for whatever that's worth. Um... There's not a lot to watch with Miami, though. You can you can keep tabs on Victor Oladipo if you really want to. I don't, I don't know that it's going to make much of a difference. Uh, he might be a plug-and-play option in roto formats at some point. And then with Phoenix, uh, Landry Shamit has been a little bit disappointing in his fill-in games, but the last one wasn't as bad as everybody claimed it was. So, I, I'm all honestly, I think he, he'll be fine. And then you watch to see who else might be starting for the Suns, and perhaps something else emerges out there. Lakers uh, got bad news early this morning. Austin Reeves out for two weeks. Lonnie Walker out another two weeks. Troy Brown out for this ball game. I mean, I know that like you hear those names and you're like, what does it really matter? But AD and LeBron are obviously the two best players on that team. I honestly think Austin Reeves might be the third best fit, even if you say Russ is the third best player on the Lakers. Uh, but look, one of their top three is out regardless. And then I would argue that even if you say Russ is better, like, overall as a player, when you talk about guys that make sense on that Lakers roster, Reeves, Walker, and Troy Brown are in a pocket of players right behind the big names. Maybe directly behind it. Thomas Bryant might be the only guy that I'd throw in there with those dudes as the, as important. I know Dennis Schroeder had a really good ball game his last time out, but I don't know that you'd classify him as as important as those guys. But, it, I mean, if you're saying those are the five most important role players on the Lakers and three of them are out and one of the three, like, orchestrators is out, who the hell is left? Russ is still going to come off the bench. LeBron's going to be with Thomas Bryant, Dennis Schroeder, and... Mm -hmm. 
I truly have no idea. Atlanta's without Clint Capella, so you can start Onyeka Okongwu. Um, then he's been he's been a really easy play. As far as the Lakers go, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions on Twitter as to whether or not I should you should pick up Dennis Schroeder. I, I think the answer is no, because even when Schroeder goes huge, it's typically still not big enough because the steals are low. With LeBron in there, the assists are not going to be that high. He might inch up towards like four or five of them. Uh, but scoring on a low field goal percent with a decent free throw number, low three-pointers, low steals, some assists, it's just not enough. His fantasy game, his game hasn't really translated to fantasy kind of since Atlanta when he had a crap ton of usage. Now, if LeBron has to miss any other ball games, that's when you make the play on Schroeder. Let's look at Saturday. Uh, I think this takes care of most of the NBA. Boston, yeah, I mean, you're, Time Lord's minutes are really the only thing I'm worried about with the Celtics. Spurs, we talked about already. Pels, we talked about. Mavs, nothing really. Not until guys start coming back. Jazz, nothing really. I mean, we know what they are without Colin Sexton, but you can track Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, and Kelly Olynyk's minutes respectively. But with Kelly, it's all about fouls. Chicago, nothing. Orlando, uh, I think they might have their team back for this ball game. In which case, keep an eye on what Jalen Suggs, and, and they're bringing him along very slowly, but as they do, watch whose minutes he takes. Is it Fultz? Is it Cole Anthony? Is it someone else? Um, Mo Wagner is back, I believe. So what does that do in the front court? I don't think he's going to get to do enough because Wendell Carter Jr. is now fine. But Orlando almost needs like a full reset button on who the hell is playing. For the Warriors, nothing really. When you know We know the Andrew Wiggins fill-in stuff going on right now. Man, he's been out for a long time. Sounds, by the way, like Steph is trying to come back next week. And then the Kings, uh, we talked about Keegan Murray's rebounding is kind of a... It's weird to really go laser-focused like that on one little thing within an individual player, but that's the only thing I'm paying attention to with Sacramento right now. And then, I didn't have my buddy Mark to tell me what team isn't playing Friday or Saturday, so I'm going to do the quick scan, and Memphis? Yeah, but we're really not paying attention to anything on the Grizzlies. And is there anybody else? No, I don't believe so. I think this is the, I think it's the only team. If I missed one, I apologize. But no worries, because on Monday we'll go back through the weekend, see what actually happened, and what moves we should make from there. In the meantime, do follow me over on Twitter, at Dan Bespers, and get ready, because next week my kids are back in school. Oh, yeah. That means YouTube videos are coming back next week. That is YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. We will see you over there next week. For now, have a lovely weekend, everybody, and I will talk to you on social media. I'm Dan Bespers for Fantasy NBA Day. Another week in the books. So long, everybody.